uh, greatest film podcast on the planet Earth, uh, Project A Plus. My name is Hunter, and I'm joined as I always am by uh, Mr. Hugh Hamilton. How are you doing today, Hugh? You know, I'm doing pretty well, actually. How are you? Um, yeah, not too bad. Tired. You sound a bit flat, yeah. I don't sleep that well last night, and also, uh, I, uh, uh, moved a, a bed frame and a mattress today. Hmm. So. Well, that took like five minutes? Yeah, it took like uh, an hour or two. Okay. <laughs> Alright, um, because I just found a day plus, like I said earlier. Uh, today on the show, we're covering. Uh, uh, what's, this, what's this? What's this? What's this? Dave? Antonio Campos. Is that right? Antonio Campos. Yeah. Uh, he's a kind of I don't know, decently well known. I don't think you had heard of you had heard of him. I hadn't heard of him. No. Uh, like indie director. I remember Christine. That was his last film. I remember that yeah. film. I don't remember his name attached to it, but. Well, I remember uh, wanting to watch his two previous films to Christine, After School and Simon Keller, when I was in high school. Right. And I never actually did watch them, but I did watch, or maybe I didn't watch, or we watched as a collective, maybe not as individuals, but collectively, we watched uh, his newest Netflix original project, which is why we decided to watch this, The Devil All the Time. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we got bonus features. Uh, that's about it. That's all we got on the show today. Should we uh, hop right in, or is there some fucking garbage in it? Spout your mouth about. I mean, I've got I've got no stories these days because I have no job. I mean, I have a job, but I have no hours at that job. Mm. I only leave the house to collect groceries. See any like uh, cute grocery uh, grocery girls? No, I have not. Mm. What was the last time you talked? Was the last time you like, like talked to someone in person? Because I see people all the time. Uh, like aside from interacting with like cashiers. Yeah, and me obviously. I can't even remember the last <laughs> time I I saw someone in person. Mm. You should like uh, see your brother. Well, if if visitations are permitted, I might. That's good. Um, but, but I will say I did, I did participate in, uh, a strike. <laughs> You're a man of the people. A strike, um, organized by the, uh, unemployed workers union. Which you're not technically an unemployed worker, but. I, I guess strictly technically I'm not, but, uh, functionally I am. Maybe, maybe legally you are, but. Anyway, I became a member I became a member of this union because you could just sign up online. Obviously, there's no fee because it's for the unemployed workers. And I think that would be a bit rich to ask for a membership fee. And uh, I signed up to legitimize my non-compliance with the mutual obligations component of collecting unemployment benefits, right? Mm. I've discussed mutual obligations on the podcast before, but I didn't really know exactly what they involved um, so I'm, I get assigned a, uh, when, when you sign up to receive these benefits and, and the coronavirus supplements and all that sort of stuff, you get assigned a, a job provider agency, an external agency um, that has a contract with the government. It's not internal with the government because everything is outsourced. And uh, it's kind of a, a, a pretty shady business, really. And they're kind of incentivized to get people to do like 
crappy activities that doesn't doesn't really help them because they get kickbacks from the government. And they're, they're not really incentivized to work with you in a substantial manner and really channel your existing skills into a field that you're interested in or qualified to work in. Uh-huh. Um, they, they tend to just shuffle people off into like intern style roles and short-term employment and stuff like that and make them do a lot of inane activities. Mm. So anyway, I had an appointment coming up. Um, and I was like, I, I just really want, don't want to do this. There's nothing in the in the world I would rather do less than attend this job appointment with this provider, even though it is over the phone because there's no appointments at the moment. And uh, I started to to do research. That was the first, that was how I came across this strike organised by the Unemployed Workers Union. And I was like, this sounds great. They said because the government at the moment are not penalising people for not doing these activities because of the coronavirus, we recommend that you don't engage with these third-party job providers, mm, right? These, these scum. Yeah, to, to protest the inequities of the system. Mm. I was like, that's right up my alley. That conforms yep, with my immediate interest that's just perfect. to not go to this appointment, not do anything, and continue to collect the money. <laughs> um, and uh, so they were criticised by uh, a minister... I'm not mm. sure. I'm not sure which which side of the government they're actually from, but but some minister bad said part. that they were encouraging um, people not to look for work, mm. and they said no, that's not what we're doing. We're only saying that you do not engage with these job providers, and you in, and we want our members to independently look for work. And I was like, fuck you, you cowards! I don't want to independently look for work. I just <laughs> want to not work. So wow. just let me do that. So that's sounds like you shouldn't have uh, joined this uh, union. Um, but uh, there's no obligation from joining the union. It just kind of legitimizes you participating in these um, uh, strikes because I sent the job provider a letter that they, they sent out to people to use and you just change the names and say, I'm part of this official strike. It looks all official. And uh, on the basis of that, they said nothing when I didn't turn up to my appointment. Mm. They just rescheduled it for tomorrow when the mutual obligations penalties come back into effect uh, Australia-wide, but I think with the exception of Victoria. So mm. I think I can continue to strike because I'm, I'm just not going to answer the, or make the call tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. That's that's where I'm at at the moment. Nice. In addition to that, I should say for the podcast, the government is also cutting down the amount um, that they had boosted up mm. by so I'll be cutting it pretty close to the bone in terms of income coming in to cover my expenses. I do have a safety net of savings that I can last on for a while, but mm. uh, it will start to dwindle. Um, I mean, at the moment, if, if it stays at the same rate, I think I can just get by covering my expenses. It's pretty close to the bone. Nice. I think it's like 1600 in total a month. And my rent is like tw- you know twelve hundred, so there's mm. a four hundred gap there. A couple a couple hundred of that goes to the uh, utilities bills, leaving a couple of hundred for food expenses across the month. So if I spent like fifty dollars, no more than fifty dollars a week on food, which is I guess just about doable, uh-huh. then I could I could get by on that. But uh, that's still inflated. Like if I was if if it was not the coronavirus time. Mm. and uh, it was just the normal amount of uh, welfare payment that you get being unemployed, 
first of all, I'd be expected to get rid of all my savings before they gave me any money, mm. uh, which is a requirement they waived uh, for the pandemic, fortunately for me. That's crazy. Um, and secondly, even when you were getting the welfare payment, uh, if you lived in any condition like mine and had the rent that I currently have, I would not be able to live <laughs> mm. in my house at least. Mm. And I'm not, and my rent is not super expensive, relatively speaking. Mm. But you also have that, uh, you know, addiction to prostitutes that you have to cover too. So. That's true. We like to, th- we like to say sex workers these days though. Oh, sorry. So get work. You like to murder sex workers. That's right. <laughs> uh, speaking of um, murdering sex workers, devil all the time. I'm praying to the Lord to forgive my crime. It's the devil all the time. Bucky's being shot, but Spider-Man's fine. What's this movie about, you? Okay, so <laughs> the guy, I'm not gonna the say, guy, wait, wait, real quick. The guy who shot this film, do you, do you know what his name Lowell is? Lowell Crawley. Yeah, that's hilarious. I know. <laughs> Maybe laugh out loud. That's very funny. <laughs> so, okay, I don't want to be too specific about the plot at this juncture because, um, in order for me to discuss my feelings about this film, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk in detail and at length about specific things that happen in it and you, you'll be able to pick up the, the general shape of the story uh, from that. Mm. But suffice to say, uh, it's a film directed by Antonio Campos, released recently uh, on Netflix. Uh, it's an ensemble cast. Uh, there's quite a number of uh, moderately sized stars in this film, I would say. And it's, it, it tells like a bunch of stories that interconnect, right? And it's set in the South, mm. in the past. <laughs> Basically three different time periods. The 40s, the 50s, and the 60s. Yeah, okay, there you go. And, you know, we follow a number of stories and then they all kind of dovetail at the end, right? That's what we really need to say. The stories Well, you are, should say the setting. I think that's important. It's in the South. Uh, no, it's actually not in the South. Ohio? Yeah, Ohio's up in the south. It's the Midwest, bro. But it's it's set in Knockham Stiff, Ohio. Come on, man. Uh, I think that the more important thing is it's more like Appalachia, just a kind of a distinct subculture. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in West Virginia. So that's that's there's two parts where it takes place. It's all the same. It's not. It's the south. It's not. It's, <laughs> I'm gonna say it's I mean, the south. if you if you uh, talk to the actors in this movie, maybe they would say that. <laughs> <laughs> Made Donald Ray Pollock, who wrote the source novel and narrates this film. Weirdly. <laughs> is is from Ohio, so he'd probably be offended by my comments. Yeah, he's from he's from Narkob Stiff, specifically. Um, so, it's, it, you know, just, just think about, like, uh, you know, William Faulkner. Just think about that. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah there you go. You, you did it. That's, that's what this is. <laughs> Not to be too glib about it. And... You know, there's a lot of violence and stuff in it and criminals and yeah. God and religion. Blah, blah. We'll get into all that stuff. That's all you need to know, right? Yeah. All right, who wants to go first? Um, well, considering you have like 100 million pages of notes, I think probably I should go first. Off you go. Because uh, I, I have to tell you something, Hugh. You know. Mm-hmm. I took to a confession. Yeah? That uh, I, I didn't actually watch this film. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you kidding? 
No, I'm not kidding. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't watch it on, on Thursday, anyhow. <laughs> but on Friday, uh. I also didn't watch it. <laughs> In the morning, at least. Uh, yeah. And also okay. the afternoon. <laughs> but what about Friday night? Friday night, let me think about that one. Hmm. Um, so you didn't watch it Friday. I didn't watch it at any all. point of the day. <laughs> I didn't watch the film at all. Did you watch it Saturday morning? I didn't watch I didn't watch the movie. It's Saturday today, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I didn't watch it. I didn't watch the movie. You did? Or you didn't? No, I did I did not. You did not? I did not. You seriously did not watch the movie? <laughs> I seriously did not. Is this a joke that's just going to go on for a while before we start talking about the film, or what? <laughs> no, no joke. No joke. <laughs> so we get to cancel the podcast, I guess. Why didn't you watch the movie? <laughs> well, here, I have to say, I, I, didn't, I didn't watch this movie. I, I experienced it. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> uh, yeah, I watched it. I watched it yesterday. By experience, that you mean you've lived this basically. Yeah. Like this is like this could have well been your life story. <laughs> you know, my grandparents actually did live in an area that was kind of similar to this. A little more uh, less less uh, poverty stricken, mm-hmm. um, but similar in tone. So I, I visited. Uh, Regions of Virginia, which I would describe as pretty similar to some of the scenery that's that's uh, shot here, even if the accents of this movie are um, perfect. Well, let's just say detached from reality. Just <laughs> uh, they, they shot it mostly in fucking Alabama. Of course they did. I fucking hate movies so much. But did you fucking hate this movie? Did I hate this movie, Hugh? Uh, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest, Hugh. Uh, you know, I went to this and I was like, this is going to be so boring. I, I was really not looking forward to watch this movie. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to watching this movie, rather. And I sat there and the fucking Netflix logo played and this overbearing school score started. And I was like, oh my God, this is just going to be some fucking <laughs> rural misery board. And, uh, you know, for the first, like, uh, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, it's like, oh God, this is torture. Mm-hmm. But, um... Then he, there was a, a series of events that uh, occurred in, in pretty rapid succession that, uh, you know, i got to be honest, I was uh, cackling. I, was, I really enjoyed myself for about uh, about 30 minutes. Uh, then he kind of dipped down back into displeasure uh, and uh, kind of, you know, up and, up and down. Um, so mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't hate it. Uh, did I think it was a good movie? Uh, no. <laughs> but, uh, did I, did I find parts of this film to be supremely entertaining? Uh, the answer to that question is yes. And I laughed a lot. Uh, I don't, I don't know if there are any actual jokes in this movie. I, maybe you can correct me. Um, but there are some things that, specifically the way that some scenes were ordered that I thought was really funny. Uh, and I have to give, give credit to, uh, Antonio Campos for, um, Provided me this vision of comedy. I can't remember the last time I laughed so hard in a film, actually. Mm. Uh, maybe one of those Stephen Chow comedies. Uh, yeah, I was almost crying uh, after one particular turn of events that took place. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, I think I, I, I have to say, uh, I just I just hate how many fucking British and Australian actors are in this movie. It drives me fucking crazy. Can we just establish that? Because I, I, I wrote this down. 
Right. Of, of about a dozen main parts of, of varying degrees of importance. Yeah. It's like an ensemble film, right? There's like three there Americans. There were like two, two Americans. It was like two Americans. It's all the main parts. Yeah. Tom Holland, a Brit. Mm. Bill Skarsgård, a Swede. Robert Pattinson, mm. a Brit. Sebastian Stan, a Romanian. Jason Clark, an Australian. Jason Stan's American, though. He was born in Romania, close enough. Eliza Scanlon, He came to America when he was eight. That's like... <laughs> come on, come on. Let me let me go with this bit. Jason Clark, an Australian. Eliza Scanlon, an Australian. Mia Wasikowska, an Australian. Harry Melling, a Brit. Douglas Hodge, a Brit. And then aside from that, there's like two Americans, and that's the core of the main cast. Yeah. Some of the rest of the cast is American, but they're in even more minor roles. Yeah, I see like the incidental actors are probably American. Yeah. So it's like, it's like, it's like... 95% not American. It's, it's fucking it's disgusting. <laughs> and, and it feels like, I mean, there's a clip of this film that sort of went around Twitter of Robert Pattinson's accent in this. Yes. Um, but I actually thought his accent wasn't so bad. It kind of fit the character that he was playing. Hmm. Um, but it did seem like every member of the cast had studied a different, uh, <laughs> under a different dialect coach. Yes. Uh, and I, uh, and not one of them seemed to have a real relationship with their reality. Um, I don't. I don't think Tom Holland's American accent's fine, and it was like fine here too. But it sort of sounded like Peter Parker doing a uh, Southern accent. His Brooklyn accent is very good, actually. <laughs> yeah, the Southern not so not so good. It wasn't like terrible. Like there's no, no there's wasn't. no accent. None of the accents here are terrible. They're just really fake, you know. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, this is another one of these films that. Just make Southerners and rural folk out to be the dumbest, uh, most violent morons you ever you ever saw. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I uh, take umbrage with that. This is a film that you know uh, seems to be like the liberal imagination, like the coastal elite Democratic voter. You know, someone who lives in a white, white, mostly white suburban area in parts of New York. Although we should say that the 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 source novel was written by a dyed-in-the-wool Ohio man who was a yeah, laborer for 50 years of his life before he started writing. So hey, maybe the novel is working good, class. but, uh, but uh, oof. <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing that he narrated this. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, and he's, credit- he's not credited on the screenplay at all. It's written by Antonio Campos and his brother, I'm assuming. Or father, I don't know. Someone with his surname. But anyway, it, this really does feel like, uh, you know, like a, a, a white suburban or, or um, you know, city-dwelling liberals uh, view of what the white core of the country looks like, you know. Mm-hmm. Just these dumb yokels who kill each other. And uh, uh, I just uh, really hate the uh, condescension that's inherent to it to, mm. uh, to a film like this, which is probably not the case in the novel itself, you know. Presumably not. Or the collection of short stories, rather. So, you know, I find that to be a little galling, but uh, at the same time, uh, this movie's really fucking funny, so... <laughs> yeah, we will get to specifics about, and I, I, I'm sure we'll, we'll dredge up the bits that you laughed at. Um, <laughs> no, not laugh, just to be clear, just to be clear, I, I, I cackle. At this Cackled. Okay. Well, we'll get there. We sure will. All right. So you you didn't think it was a good film, but there were parts of it that you got a lot of enjoyment from, regardless. Yes. 
That, that's my that's the general uh, overview of my opinion about this particular film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was dramatically inert, basically non-functional. I, I can't say that I really had much of a, a emotional attachment to any of the characters. Cool. What did I think? Mm-hmm. I had a different experience than you. I think our opinions are quite similar mm. uh, in this case, but I, I had a different experience watching the film. So I do think that in many ways this is like a superior film to... I'm thinking of ending things. I agree with you. <laughs> it's better shot for one thing. Yeah, but for a, a lot of its length, I think I had a worse viewing experience for whatever reason. Mm, that's weird. Or for the reasons I'll get into. Um, I, I agree with you that there are definitely parts of this that are amusing in how uh, sort of predictable and dumb they are. <laughs> which is which is more than I could say about anything in uh yeah. I think it so. But it didn't... <laughs> I like, definitely like this more than that movie. <laughs> during the viewing of the film, it didn't induce me to, like, actually express that externally as it did you. Mm. And I'll probably enjoy talking about it more now and breaking it down on this podcast than uh, I, did, I certainly did at the time. Uh, mm. I'll concede that the, the film becomes more at least coherently watchable uh, in the third act That's when everything kind of coalesces into a couple of sustained set pieces mm. but a lot of this film is a slog yeah i, I agree with that so a, as we've described uh, it's this anthology of intersecting narratives melding kind of this southern gothic horror and even hard-boiled crime fiction uh with these varying stories and cinematically it fits fairly comfortably with any number of kind of violent ensemble capers even though it's not strictly a caper yeah and you know what i wasn't thinking while i was watching it you know what i wasn't thinking at any point during the film's 138 minute runtime uh-huh Ooh, i can't wait to see how these disparate strands connect <laughs> or even ooh, i wonder what's going to happen to that person or i wonder what's going to happen <laughs> i did i did have thoughts such as i wonder if i'm past the halfway mark yet <laughs> And when will this be fucking over? <laughs> I, you know, I gotta admit, I found this to be, uh, at a certain point, I found it to be compulsively watchable. Mm. Not, again, not because I thought it was, like, good, or I even cared at all about the story. I was just like, what dumb, crazy thing's gonna happen next? <laughs> and, and and that reflected is kind of disappointing, because after this initial burst of, like, uh, <laughs> idiot's hate that we'll talk about, yeah, uh, yeah. the film kind of tapers off at its, uh, its what is it? But there, there are some, there are some bursts of dumb shit that we can talk about too. Yeah. So. so I think, I think on on the filmmaking side of things, and with the exception of like the developments of the plot, maybe mm. this is very dull on all all fronts. It has that kind yeah. of uh, competency that that makes the experience even worse than it would if it was like incompetent. Mm. Um, but I will say, you touched on this, but I thought the cinematography was quite good. And while I was watching it, I was like, why Why do the colours look pretty well done? It doesn't have yeah. that usual trashy Netflix look. It was. Uh, so I was like, the cinematography, like, in general, looks pretty good on all fronts, like the colours, the light, the general quality of the image. And I was like, I was like, is that film grain? And then I looked it up, and it was film, of course. I have a problem with uh, watching... I need to stop watching films on my laptop on Netflix because for whatever reason, the quality just looks like shit, and I don't really mm. understand why. Um, it, it looked better when I switched to my television, actually. Mm. So 
I don't know if I just need to adjust some settings or something like that or switch off of Chrome perhaps. So not to, not to be someone to harp on like celluloid versus digital. Cause I don't really have mm. a problem with digital, but I think yeah. it's, it's the particular way that it's executed uh, in certainly in this style of production, mm. maybe just Netflix originals in particular, where it, it's going for a look that is more associated with traditional celluloid right. and falling short of it. Um, often due to the processes they go through or the amount of choice they have with the color grading. As I said, I'm not, I'm not actually sure about how this works for celluloid, mm. but when you're shooting in digital these days, um, and I know this from my limited experience doing it because I had to learn this stuff, mm. you turn down any settings that like up the contrast or anything mm. and you make it really flat. So the, there's this really muted palette and there's like a limited contrast between the darks and the lights. And that's so you get as much information as possible. And that allows you to make whatever adjustments you need to do in post using mm -hmm. the, the color grading techniques on like the editing suites and stuff. Because if you, if you didn't do that and if you shot digitally and you turned all the features up and turned the contrast up and stuff, mm -hmm. and then you wanted to reduce the contrast, there'd be no information there. If you reduced the black, it would just become gray and you wouldn't see any of the detail that was actually captured by the camera or would have been if you shot flat. Mm -hmm. So that's the, how digital photography is done these days. And it puts all the emphasis on doing everything in post. I think with celluloid, and I don't know anything really about it, you're not, you're not really shooting flat celluloid. I don't think it's the equivalent process. I think you have to actually capture it properly in the first instance. You can still, obviously it still goes into a digital editing suite at the end of the day. Mm. But you're limited in terms of what you can do to that image from there because you've, you're, you're, there's a limitation with celluloid as opposed to like this pristine digital canvas. Mm. So you, you don't tend to get the same sort of issues with like weird color grading problems that I notice where there's yeah. like black and white hues in the face. That could, and I think that's really the issue with digital versus celluloid because a lot of the films want a traditional celluloid quality. Mm. Instead of Which like instead they should looking, embrace the specific qualities of digital. Yeah, instead of like looking to see what digital can do. And I think that's what we both like about something like Miami Vice. Yeah. Or like even like someone like I feel like Nicholas Woody reference pretty good at shooting like digital photography, you know what I mean? Yes. There's definitely there's definitely so many exceptions. Yeah, there's so many there's so many textures and, and interesting qualities that digital could bring out, but Yeah. yeah you kinda that, need to know what you're working with. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But it could just also be like a budget thing and... Um, it could be many things too. It's mainly something that comes up that I particularly notice with these like mid-tier Netflix productions. Mm. Yeah. And this is obviously an exception. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's actually quite quite beautifully shot in spots. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Shame the story that these images are attached to is so fucking stupid. <laughs> I know, that's, that's a bit of a shame. Should, should we get um, to the specifics of it? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I really think that, that for, for one, to, to explain the enjoyment you got from this film, but also to explain mm. why we both think it's terrible, <laughs> the best way of doing that is to like go through the progression of the plot. And certainly I want to be quite specific in the... Uh, I want to be quite specific about the initial stages of this film. Mm. Uh, and then we can we can be a bit broader um, as we as we expand from there and and skim through some of the rest. Uh, obviously, getting into detail about the things you wanted to mention. Mm. But um, 
this is this is something following on from what you said as well about <laughs> your initial reaction to this film, uh, which very much mirrored mine. It was like hit after hit. It was like, oh my god, I'm going to watch 138 minutes of this trash. Because I was out from like the first frame. As soon as the author's voice of, of, on that, that folksy narration kicks in, you're like, oh, fucking kill uh, yeah, me. Yeah, I also fucking <laughs> hated that shit. So there's this like, so he starts narrating and we get like the opening credits and like it's some scene setting bullshit with a map somewhere in America. It's the South to me. I don't care. It's all the South. And then, and then what do we get? What's the first I mean, scene? Clearly the, the filmmakers don't really care that much either. Yeah. Um, the first scene of the movie is... Um, uh, Pennywise as a religious <laughs> southern daddy <laughs> praying praying to this makeshift like log cross that he's made in the, the forest outside the back of it and, he, and he's got his little boy like kneeling next to him <laughs> he's like, come on boy pray pray for, pray for Jesus I'm like oh god and then uh, again stealing something that you already said but like that the soundtrack uh, announces the film's intentions via these kind of cheesy horror movie stabs like <laughs> buckle up things are about to get dark <laughs> yeah but it, 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 it's so funny because like like the, the stabs are there they're like not anywhere else in the movie right no i know i was like what, did, what happened to that <laughs> the rest of it is just like this like standard like ponderous like generic <laughs> dramatic music yeah. yeah with with touches of uh you know appellation stuff i guess yeah whatever um, and then what, then what happens, like, almost immediately after that, we get a, a traumatic war flashback. Hell yeah, bro. <laughs> I'm like, oh, God. There's something kind of uh, off-putting to me about this, too, because did, did the Japanese ever do this? <laughs> it, just, it just seemed a little dubious to me. I mean, maybe maybe the Japanese did it, but I feel like by that point they were on such, like, you know, uh, bad footing that... <laughs> yeah. Just, just can't imagine it. Um, yeah, that was a little that was a little suspect. And then then we jump forward a bit in time. So Pennywise comes back from World War Two, <laughs> and we get an, immediately a needle drop fifties pop song over an establishing shot of this generic fifties town or whatever, mid to late forties. Mm. You said you, you found it kind of con- condescending towards the milieu that it was trying to establish. Yeah, and I got that as well. Uh, obviously, I'm no authority. But the depiction of the South or Appalachia or whatever you want to call it, I'm kind of lumping it all together because it's kind of like a, a broad South. Well, but that's that's the problem is that there's there's not like a I mean there is like a something of a unified Southern culture, you know. Yeah. But you know this this film spends all this time being like oh knock them stiff Ohio and meat or in, in meat and whatever the place in West Virginia is called. But at the end of the day, they don't like. You know what, what? What is it about these places that make them call that? Like, you don't see any miners going to to work or anything like that. You know what I mean? Like, there's no semblance of local culture at all. Like, it doesn't. It doesn't feel like. It just feels like anywhere. You know, and and that's it's 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 hindered by the fact that they shot this in Alabama, which I mean, you know, it's just the texture of like both Ohio and West Virginia, like the primary like, you know, the both like industrial states and and I mean, especially at the time, like the primary like you know, source of employment for people who would live in these areas is, like, coal mining, and, like, you don't see fucking shit in that. Like, it's just stupid. To me, it just seemed like the kind of South that's only ever existed in fiction. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I'm not saying, like, the actual place is better or worse than what's depicted here. I mean, at the very least, it's probably worse because this is absent any racial tension. 
Yeah. Um, but it feels so like generically assembled that any resemblance to the real place has to be like coincidental. Oh yeah, for sure. Even though um, it's shot in Alabama or whatever it was, the the thing that somewhat distinguishes it from other depictions of the South is the cinematography itself. I think there was mm. something a little different about the light and the image than you'd normally sure, see sure. with some depictions like this. But again, that's the only thing where it's noteworthy. Just like the cinematography is really the only thing that's noteworthy about this film, aside from the bad parts. Well, and the great parts. And the great parts. Anyway, so Pennywise meets a lovely waitress in town and falls in love. We've we've seen this scene a million times. If you haven't if you haven't seen the film that we're talking about and you close your eyes and you imagine a returned soldier falling in love with a local waitress in a, in a 40s or 50s town, the way you've imagined it is exactly how it plays out, except quite nicely shot. <laughs> yeah, the only, like, uh, off-note or strange part is that they're also like, and this is the day when Jason Clark met Riley Keogh. And yes. I'm just going to put a pin yes, in indeed. that. We'll come back to it later. I, I, I might not be following the plot exactly as it progresses, but this is how I've, I've assembled my notes. We get the creepy sermon. Mm. And we get Dudley Dursley pouring a bucket of CGI spiders over himself and then having a meet cute with Alice in Wonderland. Mm. Nice. Topical. So somewhere, somewhere in here we get another prayer scene. Uh, so we have Pennywise and his little son. Um, two poachers notice them and they make some comments about his wife like your wife is mighty fine maybe we'll pay her a visit <laughs> all right this is this is the part where I'm approaching the scene right after the scene is the part where i really started to enjoy myself yeah i enjoyed this bit as well actually because he um he doesn't react and he tells his no. son keep praying boy keep praying keep your head down right i was really hoping they would just cut to the house where she's having sex with these two bits <laughs> That is so funny. <laughs> just like, don't listen, don't listen to our bones, son. <laughs> but anyway, that doesn't happen. Um, the poachers leave them alone eventually. Yeah. And it pays off in a later scene where he's driving around with this kid. <laughs> the progression is as such. The scene is introduced with uh, the, the boy reading a cock book, right? Mm-hmm. And then the dad's like, come on, son, we got stuff to do or whatever. And then <laughs> the mom is like, honey. And then the, the camera like cuts to like this, you know, like media vlog shot of her just looking angelic and white. And as soon as they cut to that shot, I was like, oh, she's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> but she's like, honey, please give me some sugar while you're out. <laughs> and uh, well, what are, what are they going to do? <laughs> So they go, they go driving off uh. and he stops the car outside a house where the two poachers are kind of lazing around <laughs> on the lawn, right? Uh. He, so he says to his kid, wait here, boy, <laughs> wind up the window. <laughs> and he goes out and he proceeds to beat the shit out of the two guys, right? The poachers who made fun of them before. Now, now I ask you, do we get a shot angled up? at the assailant as he mercilessly beats the out-of-frame victim who is uh, prostrate before him. No way. Yeah. 
Anyway, the kid watches from the car and clearly takes copious mental notes because he's going to grow up to the same shit, which we'll get to. Um, and I think his dad, his dad actually says, Pennywise actually says, uh, you got to wait for the right time to, to do some shit, right, boy? <laughs> so he's learned that lesson. It's like, okay, so you don't just fight them immediately in the moment. You wait, you wait for the right opportunity when the yeah, yeah. odds are in your favor. Right. So what's the next development? Well, as you guessed... <laughs> They come, they come home, and why, why is mama on the kitchen floor? <laughs> What's wrong with her? Mom. <laughs> Mommy! What is wrong with her? <laughs> She's got cancer. That was, was fucking cackly, dude. It's so funny. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, the God, God told her, God put the cancer in her boy. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, the fancy doctors here, they, they tell the boy, they tell... <laughs> Traumatized World War Two two veteran to the boy that uh, oh, there's nothing they could do. But you know who, <laughs> you know who can do something for her? <laughs> the Lord Jesus. Uh, this scene so, is great. This scene is great. <laughs> that is so funny. So um, we should mention that the dad has set up like a makeshift um, chapel in the woods where he's basically just set up a cross and a log that he can pray on. Mm-hmm. And so the uh, father drags, uh, Pennywise drags his son to this little uh, praying spot and, like, forces him down <laughs> to pray, which is already great. <laughs> you know, there's a little bit of uh, physical violence because uh, he ain't praying well enough or whatever. Yeah, he gets distracted. Uh, he looks off into the forest and he goes, and he, and, he, and he slaps him and goes, pray for your mama boy. <laughs> pray the cancer away. God's going to save her. But then Pennywise is like, it's not a, it's not a tough. I got to, I got to, I got to do something for, uh, for the, the big guy in the sky. I got to, I got to. Yeah, because she gets, her condition gets worse. So clearly the initial, the initial prayer hasn't worked. So what, what's he going to do? <laughs> well, what he's going to do is he's going to. He's gonna crucify the family dog. This <laughs> 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 is the part where I really started laughing because it, it, it just it's just a smash cut to him doing this and the kid like going to be like, No, no, Jakey, not no Jakey, please don't not Jakey. It's just a smash cut to them at her funeral. <laughs> <laughs> so the dog the dog sacrifice didn't work either. Mama dies of cancer. Just, just, to, just to clarify how he, how he conveys this back is that, you know, there's this there's emotionally charged sacrifice scene. And then, like, the kid is running out. He's, like, screaming at the dad. And then it's just, and it's just a smash cup to him, to them, like, standing out at the grave. <laughs> it's, so, it's so funny. So she dies of cancer, right? The dad kills himself. Okay. And a pretty graphic scene. So the kid finds his, his dad, uh, you know, uh, the pocket knife in his, in his wrist. Um, and uh, this is another scene that I just thought was absolutely hysterical. We cut immediately from that to Sebastian Stan playing this, like, you know, pudgy, small-town sheriff getting a hand job. <laughs> I, th- I think you mean we cut to Bucky getting a hand job. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> it's just so funny. I mean, how are you supposed to take this movie seriously after that? <laughs> like, we're cutting, like, it's just like, the, the sequence of events is such... Mom gets cancer, dad kills dog, mom dies, dad kills himself, but he gets hand job. The preach the evil preacher Dudley Dursley, who married Alice in Wonderland. 
He, he locks himself in his room. Yeah, he goes mad. And then he thinks that he's being tested by the Lord. They, we, should, we should point out that they have a daughter that's been left with um, uh, Pennywise's son's grandparents yes. because uh, these grandparents wanted Pennywise to marry uh, you know, Washakoska. Yes. Um, but he didn't, she didn't, and said she married Dudley Dursley, who kills her. Uh, yeah, so they drop, they drop the kid off uh, at that house, uh, ostensibly mm. to go for a, a walk. Um, but instead, instead Dudley, uh, stabs her in the neck with a screwdriver. This is also a scene that I thought was hysterical. <laughs> and, um, and she dies and then he's like, okay, God, now it's time to bring her back to life. Any second now. God. All right, come back, come back. <laughs> right. I don't know what the specific words he was using. Was he saying resurrect her or what? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Resurrect her. It's, it's, it's really, it's really funny. I was laughing at this too. There's an important, um, not subplot, but a, a strand that intersects this. So, the um, this preacher who murdered Vashikoska, uh, he murdered his wife, goes on the run briefly, okay? But uh, he has a change of heart and tries to hitchhike his way back to see his daughter. And he is picked up by. Jason Clark and Riley Keog, who we mentioned briefly at the beginning, who are just another couple you mean that in the same. John Connor and his wife. No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> um, so uh, they they meet at the same diner as uh, Pennywise and uh, the waitress meet, and the film's like, "Well, these people will be injured. We'll, we'll come back to them later." And we do come back to them in that. Uh, well, basically. Uh, <laughs> Uh, they can't, they hit uh, pick up this uh, evil preacher guy, and uh, then Jason Clark holds him at gunpoint and tells him to have sex with his wife. <laughs> and he's going to take some photos. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, Mr. Preacher is uh, resistant to this, and then Jason Clark blows his brains out. So, yep. Too bad. And then the kid grows up to be Spider-Man. Yeah, we smash cut to the 60s. The kid is Spider-Man, um, and... Uh, the girl was played by some fucking Australian actress. <laughs> Beth. The girl is Beth. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. She's better at uh, Little Women than she is in this movie. <laughs> no surprise. Anyone would be <laughs> if they were in both films. But she's the only one, so. Yeah, so um, Beth is essentially like Spider-Man's sister because they, they grew up together mm. in the same house. And yeah. uh, she's getting picked on at school. Yeah, for reasons that I thought were kind of obscure. <laughs> well, they put a bag over her head, and I think it's because she's some names. I think it's because she's maybe. so pious, maybe. Well, but I anyway, mean, she should, she should be picked on, but whatever. And um, Spider-Man has learnt the lesson from his dad about uh, what to do in this kind of situation, because initially he gets into a confrontation, like, trying to save her, and he gets beaten up a little bit. And then, and then he's like, ah, oh, I should wait for my chance. Before we get to him doing this, we should say that every day after school, the sister goes to the grave of her mother and reads some of the Bible out, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And also that uh, the, the preacher who is typically in this small, this small town uh, has been replaced because he has come under uh, the spell of some ill-defined virus or disease. And is replaced by Robert Pattinson doing a by Batman funny, himself. Shut up! <laughs> Made a pretty funny uh, uh, accent. There is a moment in his initial sermon 
where he says, my mama told me I'd never win a fist fight. And I was like, never win a fist fight? You're Batman. What are you talking about? Oh my God, I'm going to kill you. I swear to God. <laughs> He's got Batman's build as well. Do you like the fact that they, they he tried to make himself or they tried to make him look like more pudgy and sweaty and it didn't mm. work at all? <laughs> Yeah, he, just looks he looks cut. pristine he looks, in this film. Yeah, he does. And you There's barely notice the fact that he's got a fake belly. You see his like, like whole body. It's like, yeah, you look pretty good, Robert Pattinson. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so, uh, okay, that's all of this is to say that, yes, as you said, Peter Parker has learned the lesson from his, uh, his father, Pennywise the Clown, and uh, waits until these bullies of his sister are... Um, you know, in, in a relaxed position, one's about to have sex, and the others are working on a car, uh, and beats the shit out of them. Uh, the only problem being, as soon as he uh, goes off to enact this bloody vigil, vigil, uh, vengeance, he typically waits with his sister at the gravestone while she performs this, you know, mini, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but by uh, leaving her alone, he leaves her to be uh, Prayed upon. Uh, basically sexually assaulted by Robert Pattinson. Yeah. She becomes pregnant. She goes to Batman and says, hey, I'm pregnant. And he's like, yeah, go have an abortion. I don't care. Right. Well, he's it wasn't like, me. No, you're delusional. It's not my child. That's, how it, yeah. that's, what, that's what he said. He say and he says, go deal with it as well. Like, you know. Yeah. And she's like, well, I already died of scarlet fever once. I can die again. So she goes to Very the barn fine. to hang herself. And uh, <laughs> just as she's about to tip over the upturned bucket she's standing on, she has a change of heart. She's like, oh, no, nah, it'll be okay. But then she accidentally kicks over the bucket and, and dies anyway. What a morbid twist of fate, hey? Too bad uh, because um, Peter Parker, you know, he's joined a, uh, a road maintenance crew or some shit. And, uh, you know, he hears tell that she was pregnant and, and uh, uses his amazing powers of deduction to determine that the uh, preacher was Well, the he's one the world's who... greatest detective. No, that's Batman. I know. Um, <laughs> Uh, he, he's up he, against the world's greatest detective. Yeah, he, he, the preacher has was the one who uh, done knocked her up, and then this sort of uh, prompted my favorite scene in the later like half of the film, which is pretty boring. Um, which is that uh, there's a great scene where Robert Pattinson just need a blowjob, <laughs> and it's like a rejected scene. They're just like, why is this in this movie? <laughs> Very strange. And I'm not sure um, if it was prosthetic, but I, my initial read of that scene was that he was pushing his belly out so he looked out of shape mm. and it just looked ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's very, very odd. Very odd. Because I actually only noticed that he had like a fake belly um, when I was watching an interview with him. Mm. And it showed a clip of him in like the, doing, doing the sermon. I was like, oh, they've actually put something over his belly to make it look bigger. Which, it, which didn't even read because he looks so in shape in general that you don't clock anything like that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not like people are pudging in one area of their body and, like, spelt in other ones, you know? No. <laughs> anyway, so um, Peter Parker fucking kills him. Um, yeah. Then he kills the sheriff. That's the end of the movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh well, the connection is... There's a bunch of other shit that happens. Who cares? I don't, I don't, I'm really, like, I'm so done talking about <laughs> the the connection is just to quickly tie up some loose ends. So Bucky uh, is a corrupt cop, or as we say these days, a cop. Yeah? It's a sheriff. He's bro. a sheriff in, in particular. The connection is that his sister is married to John Connor. No, his sister's married to yeah, married to Jason Clark. John Connor. 
No one's going to get that joke. No one would watch that. <laughs> I had to go through his filmography to find an iconic role. Is that, is that, that the best I could like, do. Is that even the most recent Terminator film? I know. But old John Connor. <laughs> it's, the one, it's the one that no one watched. His sister is married to old I John can't, Connor. I can't even remember what that one's called. It's, called. it's Terminator Genesis, right? I don't know what it's called. <laughs> so shut, shut the fuck up. It's Jason Clark. Why aren't you doing this with Riley Keogh? You need to do her character from like uh, Under the Silver Lake or something. I, yeah, but that's not an iconic like franchise movie. I did look at all of the filmography. I, I think, I think I, I'm not trying to be like uh, pervy when I say this, but literally every movie that I've seen her in, she's taking her clothes off. Mm. It's very strange. I guess except for Logan Lucky. But yeah, so there's a connection between Bucky and this evil murdering couple. Bro, she's right? a fucking Mad Max. Yeah, I know, I, but I, I looked at that as well. Do you think I didn't assess these possibilities? I'm a professional, bro. No one's going to remember yeah, sure the name of, like, one of the, like, uh, what are they called? Harem? Harem, yeah. That's the one. Dude, holy shit, your brain is fucking fried. Um, remember, remember Hold the Dark? That's a great movie. Yeah, she was in that. <laughs> she was naked in it, too. <laughs> um, anyway, whatever. So, the... the they're basically, they basically become a serial killer couple, Jason Clark and Riley Young. Yeah, so that's, they've established them that they pick up hitchhikers and they kill them. Yeah. There's a scene at the end where Spider-Man's driving around, and before his car stopped, I was like, his car's going to stop, he's going to get picked up by these yep. evil hitchhikers. Yep. Yep. And, and then, lo and behold, well, that's what bye. happens. Bye, Gummit. But because he's got a gun, he kills them. Yeah, and then he kills the sheriff, that's it. And then that's he has to show down with Bucky, and Spider-Man kills Bucky. Yeah. Who cares? Bad movie. <laughs> I give it two stars just for the, the 30 minutes of hilarity alone. I don't have anything else I to say about this. Let's just go on to bonus features. Bonus features, bonus, bonus features, bonus features, bonus, bonus features. Hugh. Uh, aren't you going to ask me how many films I watched this week besides uh, The Devil All the Time? How many films did you watch this week besides The Devil All the Time? Uh, the last two weeks, anyway. The last two weeks. Mm, i got to say I watched zero films. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I got nothing. What do you chalk that up to? Uh, I don't know. I just didn't want to watch it. I just wasn't in the mood, I guess. Okay. I, w- I sat down to watch uh, Prince of Darkness and I watched like the opening credits and I was like, you know what, I don't really want to watch this right now. Mm. So, yeah, I've just been more in the mood for playing video games and reading recently. So. Fair enough. Did a lot of that. What, did you, what have you watched? All right. I watched a handful of things and I'll be quick as Good. possible, which is, which is long. Just, just so, read the list. Uh, I want to mention one film that I forgot to mention on a previous episode somehow. Um, so this wasn't strictly within the last couple of weeks, but it was a, maybe a couple of episodes back. I watched, uh, and maybe I did mention it, but I don't remember. You can correct me if I did. I watched Office Killer. Nope. So this is from 1997, directed by Cindy Sherman, who's mainly known as a photographic artist. This isn't her only real feature film. Um, I think she's made at least one short film and presumably some video installation stuff. Um, I'm guessing, but this is the only real feature film. And it's a serial killer story starring Carol Kane. Uh, it's visually very attractive. Uh, her, her photographic background definitely comes through. 
and Carol Kane delivers a pretty much note-perfect performance as the killer. I really enjoyed her performance. Mm. But I, I, what I really admire about this film is, is its tone. I think there's a lot of ways that this type of story could go wrong because it's like the quiet office lady, the quiet, mousy office lady murdering mm. the other people in the office and getting revenge, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of ways that like that on paper could could go wrong, but I think Sherman really nails it. No, I actually didn't know that. I, I'm kind of familiar with her, uh, some of her like stills. I'm actually, I didn't even know that she directed the film. It's, it's I've definitely recommended if you can uh, find it. You're not to see about that. It has all the ingredients of a dark horror comedy about a serial killer, as it as it, as it seems mm-hmm. to be going for, but. It's tonally quite unlike other films that are in a similar mode. Like I describe it as deadpan, but I think that gives the wrong impression as well. Um, but yeah, I, I generally think it's a great film. I was I was impressed by it. Like okay. If you can well, find it, what I else did watch you it. What else did you watch? I watched um, Mother, uh, which is another uh, Albert, Albert Brooks, Brooks film. Oh. All right, yeah. uh, that's all you need to say. Hey. Calm down. Uh, again, this is pretty solid, but it's a little lackluster in spots. Uh, I genuinely, I generally like how underplayed Albert Brooks films are, um, but sometimes they can drift away if there's not quite enough there. Mm. And I think the resolution to this story got away from him a little. It might be a solid idea on paper, but he doesn't quite land it. And... His directing style is subtle at the best of times, but I would say this is among his most visually prosaic efforts. Mm. Still pretty enjoyable, and, and Debbie Reynolds is good in it. I watched uh, Morning Glory. <laughs> Remember that film? Uh, yeah. Harrison uh, Ford's Ford and, out. <laughs> uh, uh, Who's the female lead? Um, Rachel McAdams. Rachel McAdams, yeah. So yeah. this is this is one of those films where you can feel the the trailer the whole way through if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. You just feel the parts where they just turn it into a trailer. Yeah, I mean. years ago I d- remember actually watching the trailer to this and thinking this looks fucking terrible. I'd never want to watch this, but obviously I'm a different person now. Um, I watched this actually only because I discovered that uh, Aileen Brosh McKenna wrote it, and she was the co-creator and showrunner on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend which you know I love. So mm. I was like, well, can't be that bad. You know what? It's not. It's pretty enjoyable fluff. I think Rachel McAdams is strong in the lead, and I like the way it reconfigures the tropes of romantic comedies into a workplace comedy. So it's essentially just about uh, Rachel McAdams hooking up with a rewarding career. Mm. But to make that, that kind of conceit work, I, I do find it funny that the premise is her... Like her fantasy at the start of the film, her dream job is working as a producer on the Today Show. Like that's the ultimate fulfillment of her. And I, I can't I can't imagine a real person having that very specific dream. Um, naturally, she realises that uh, her true love is this less flashy upstart morning show that she can uh, influence herself and whatever. You get it. It's a rom com. Right, yeah, career. let's keep going. Pretty enjoyable stuff, but I, I think it's always fun to see, um, you know, current day or relatively current day Harrison Ford suffer through this type of role. <laughs> he's 
he even seems like he's suffering. Uh, he seems like he's suffering in everything, to be honest. Um, yeah, I think I think uh, every movie '90s onward seems to be beautiful yeah. for him. Um, I watched uh, <laughs> Love Guaranteed, a straight to Netflix <laughs> rom com <laughs> that may well have been algorithmically generated for all I know. Um, it just what scrapes by doing? as watchable why, why, why or degraded souls. Podcast? What? Why don't we do it on the podcast? You want to do it? <laughs> no, not anymore. I, I would never have dreamed that you would agree to do that. Otherwise, I, 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 mean, I have agreed to do so much fucking shit. I already, no, no, I suggested this when we were going through Netflix. I read out the I premise to you. I don't remember. I don't remember that at all. The premise is like a guy tries to sue a dating app because okay, it okay, guarantees love. Let's, let's get through it. Let's get through it. You don't need to do this, chance. Probably shit. You, you, you stopped me here. I was, I was moving on. I'd finished. No, I had it's one okay. sentence it's about okay. that. It's okay. It's okay. Keep on going. I watched uh, Dressed to Kill. Mmm. De Palma film. <laughs> I, I like that movie. I can't. I, I, I can't say I was overly. To watch, yeah, I can't say I was overly impressed with it. I enjoyed some of the set pieces. He's pretty reliable in that department. I thought Angie Dickinson was really good, and the opening. Sh- dream sequence where it's like this gratuitous shot of a oh, naked model shit. who's not Angie Dickinson but supposed to be. <laughs> it's it's great. very funny. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it's the so- whole thing holds together that well. And mm. certainly superficially it seems pretty damn transphobic as well as racist. Yeah. So <laughs> there is that. It's true. Although although I'd like to time. counter that a little bit, I did like the scene at the end where they have this extended in-depth conversation about gender reassignment surgery in a restaurant to the consternation of other diners. Um, that does counterbalance it a little bit and complicate it as being strictly transphobic. And also, I feel like the uh, uh, constant, like, um, scenes you see of, on TV of, of uh, trans women or a trans woman being uh, interviewed, I think also kind of counterbalances it a bit. Yeah, yeah. But it still sort of falls into those tropes. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to uh, you know... Defend uh, Trusty Girl just because Defile is one of my favorite characters. <laughs> but I enjoy it. Uh, I do think, I, I also think this movie is just a total like joke for the most part. And I think that mm. kind of helps it too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so It's, it's a, still a fun watch. Yeah. The, opening, the sequence of the, uh, I just, I love the setup where like, you know, Andy Dickinson picks up that dude at the uh, at the uh, art museum, and then they have sex. That she just immediately has a find out she's an STD, that she just gets killed. It's so brutal because because she she has this like she has this like horribly unfulfilling sexual relationship with her husband, and uh, she masturbates and thinks about having sex with other men. And so, like, she has this, like, sexually really satisfying encounter with this dude that just is immediately, like, like you, you can tell it's, like, in the realm of parody because it's just, like, the relationship between her getting killed and having sex with this guy is, like, it's so immediate that it's it just, it is a joke, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's clearly De Palma, like, making fun of the fact that so often, like, um, sexual promiscuity and, and um, violence are leaked and, and, like, slashes like this, you know? Yes. And it's obviously yes. upended by also the fact that, you know, his main... Uh, the female character comes to dominate the film as a prostitute too. Yes, so. that's true. Um, I next rewatched a film that you rewatched on maybe the last episode of the mm. podcast. They live. Mm. One of the greats. Yeah, just enjoyed it with pizza. That's all I need to say. 
it's 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 great stuff. Yeah. And I rewatched another film finally, the last one, so you can relax. Twin Peaks, mm. Fire Walk with Me. Well, two of my favorite films, uh, all in one week. So this originally passed me by somewhat because I watched mm. it a on my phone as David Lynch intended. <laughs> nice. Be sandwiched between the end of season two and the start of season three of Twin Peaks. Mm. So it was kind of all blurred together. Um, so it was difficult to me. It was difficult for me to kind of even judge it uh, as its own uh, contained work. But rewatching mm. it now, I think it's one of Lynch's best films. Mm, I agree. And Cheryl Lee is, is really great in it. Yeah, it's uh, really scary. <laughs> and I love the beginning of the film, which, you know, I feel like it's the most reviled segment of it, you know? But it, do it people basically not just, like it? Uh, I, 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 know they, that the, I know there's mixed opinions about the film in general, but do people specifically not like the opening stuff? That's, that's definitely what I've read in some places. Mm. But I, I, the opening sequences are so funny, too. It's just so, it's so, so weird. I mean, it, 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 it works as like this... Uh, you know, parody of Twin Peaks to a certain degree, yeah. you know? Um, and I, actually, if you haven't watched it, I would highly recommend watching the uh, missing pieces, which are, it's like uh, an hour and a half of like deleted scenes that Lynch edited together. So oh, really? The fun, yeah, the original cut of this film was just like four hours long or something like that. Wow. And uh, he was like contractually obligated to do it for a film that was like, you know, like two hours and 30 minutes or something like that. And uh, basically he had to trim off the stuff. But you get more Bowie, for instance. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Wow, it's definitely worth a watch. Uh, there's some like really great sequences in this, in this, in these deleted scenes. So that's all I watched. All right. Well, anyway, uh, goodbye, podcast listeners. Goodbye. Oh.